Hello and welcome to the Second Tier Podcast. I'm Ryan Dilks and I'm joined by the Ricky Lambert to my Matt Letissier. It's Justin Peach. Good day to you, Ryan. Two men who were very good footballers but have very questionable views. Justin, how are we? The transfer window's open, that's quite exciting. It is, but nothing exciting's happened just yet. I think we're still bubbling away. A lot of teams are still sort of doing deals with agents. A lot of agents are still working or scrolling away at getting deals for their clients. So yeah, it's, it's, it's been a really quiet start so far. I usually get like a ton of really random links, but I've not even seen those yet. Yeah, we. I'm not sure if I'm just being impatient, but it does seem like it's been a quiet start to the window. I'm, I'm mm. not sure what it's like compared to previous windows around this time of year but it does feel like not much has happened so far luckily we've got enough to fill this episode haven't we just about just about uh, yeah plenty of news obviously but i think i think we just need everything to kick off just really royally kick off and uh, we're just waiting for that to happen yeah absolutely otherwise just in you keeping well i'm not bad i had an interesting interview offer the other day which was it uh, nearly made me drop my phone i think it's a, a weird um, one yeah, yeah. So they're very non-discreet. Now. When you yeah. say interview, you mean job interview, not like <clears throat> media interview. Yeah, yeah, job interview. So obviously applying for freelance roles, um, very non-discreet uh, job description. Didn't allude to anything that went on in terms of the the job at hand or the tasks at hand. It's usually the case. And then the email sort of flowed down and it was uh, as a streaming assistant for Babe Station. <laughs> And I was just like, <laughs> right, okay, I don't know how to process this. How do I process this? Um, it paid It paid incredibly well. It was for sort of social media side of things as well. And I'd, yeah, good networking opportunities, I imagine. But yeah, it was just one of those where it just sort of took me aback and not usually less speechless. I had no idea where that was going. That was... <laughs> um, are you going to take the job? I'm not. I'm not going to go for an interview. I don't want to be drafted in just in case one of the, um, I don't know how to describe them, one of the uh, occupiers are calling sick. I don't want to be drafted in just in case. I, th- I think it would be interesting. It would be great networking, working alongside Carmen and Crystal. <laughs> I don't know why you know who they are, but okay, you know, less less said the better. I'm just going down, <laughs> you know, your standard babe station kind of names, I'm guessing. I, mm. I assume they, they're in the same kind of ballpark as your stripper names. Um, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> you've really thrown me off here, Justin. Um, Football. I've got so many questions, but we should probably talk about football. Welcome to the number one championship podcast, the second tier. Thank you for joining us wherever you are. Yes, this is, an, this is a news update of everything that's been going on in the championship from the past week and a bit. So we'll talk about that, talk about Huddersfield's new manager, who's not new at all. Talk about some of the transfer news as well. Uh, just have a jolly good time, shall we? So we'll begin with Huddersfield, who have a new manager and, as I say, not really new at all. Neil Warnock has agreed to stay on for another year at Huddersfield. It's despite saying last month that he can't keep doing this for another 10 months. But here he is, Justin Sir Neil. He just can't keep himself away, can he? Sir Neil, he should definitely be a, a, a Sir Knight, Knighted, uh, Knighted Neil. Um, 
Yeah, it's, it's incredible, isn't it, how the longevity he has. I worked out that he's, I think he's managed in 43 consecutive seasons, which is just astonishing. It might even be more than that because Wikipedia's really hard to read when it's the dates are as long as Neil Warnock's. Um, but again, just the longevity of his career is absolutely incredible. But not only that, but the results he carries on getting because managers have managed for a long time but not had as much success as he as he's had. You, know, you, you go back to last season with Huddersfield, for example, and being able to keep the club in the championship, despite pretty much everyone, including Huddersfield, right at, you know, writers surrounding Huddersfield Town, um, the media, etc., even supporters, writing them off. And then you go to Middlesbrough, coming in and, and saving them with three games to go, and then stabilising that football club for the likes of Chris Wilder and, and Michael Carrick to take him to, an, to the next level. They're in his twilight years, or twilight years as you'd expect. There's nothing that can can keep this absolute legend away from football. Absolutely nothing. You'd have thought right retirement was was on the cards, but no, he carries on going. And I think this this is an, a really really shrewd, well thought out decision from Kevin Nagel and the new owners at Huddersfield. Yeah, I agree. I think this is good news for Huddersfield. I think it was going to take them a while to rebuild after the disastrous season they just had. When the squad is as weak as it is, there's wholesale change behind the scenes with the new owners. It's a sensible move, keeping Warnock in charge. Out of the three managers last season, he easily got the most out of the players there. And if they were to go ahead and get in a new manager, it could quite easily go all wrong. And I wouldn't have been surprised to see them in danger of going down once again. With Neil Warnock, I can't see that happening. He's just a safe pair of hands, isn't he? I don't see them pulling up any trees next season. I'll I'll make that quite clear. But it gives them a bit of stability and that's a good thing after a very up and down few seasons for Huddersfield, Justin. You just want a normal year where you're not fighting against anything. You're not you know, looking over your shoulder. And I think that's what Neil Warnock can deliver, isn't it? I, I think it's just sitting here right now, you can't really rule out them pushing for promotion spectacularly because he's done that before with Cardiff just, just uh, yeah I know I know I'm stretching but let's be honest down. <laughs> let's be honest it's Neil Warnock the the man is well it's it's godlike intervention I've described it as godlike yes, intervention before he is he is Justin but he was at Middlesbrough not too long ago and had a much better squad and still they weren't really troubling the playoff picture were they so I can I can see why you're saying that but even though he's just performed a miracle with Huddersfield, I think when you're looking at the upper reaches of the championship, I don't think the magic is as much there as it once was. I think you are doing him a disservice because the magic was there last season. And now I'm not suggesting that would be the case. I'm not predicting that to be the case, but I'm just saying it's the Neil Warnock factor. It's the unpredictable factor with 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 a Warnock um, intervention, as I say. But nonetheless... It's a really good decision. Obviously, Lee Bromby is is departing, which the club, as you said, need a safe pair of hands to guide them into the next phase or next chapter under the new ownership. And Neil Warnock brings that. He's he's the sturdiest captain you could possibly possibly want on on incredibly rough waters. That is a championship. That's a terrible analogy, but I don't. Know. I think it was actually quite a good analogy. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to be on a ship with Neil oh Warnock God. as captain. That would be fantastic. Ronnie Jepson as his best mate. That'd be. Can you imagine incredible. what that cruise liner would be like? Oh God. <laughs> HMS fucking die to get three points. Um, What was I going to say? Yeah, just following on from that, 
I don't think it would be a bad thing for Huddersfield next season to have a season where they finish 15th or 16th. Huddersfield were in danger of going down for the majority of last season. Before that, playoffs. Before that, in danger of going down again. It's been very up and down, hasn't it? So with that being said, if they have a season where it's just boring, nothing happens, I think that's a good thing for Huddersfield. Uh, speaking of them, their takeover is edging closer. The club have announced American businessman Kevin Nagel has completed the EFL owners and directors test, but he's awaiting clearance from a statutory government body before the purchase can officially go through. Jake Edwards has been appointed as chief exec there. He was the president of, Unite, of the United Soccer League in the USA for eight years. Lee Bromby has left his role as sporting director, while Paul Clements has stepped down as head of goalkeeping. Not too much of a surprise about Bromby. He made some calamitous decisions last season, didn't he? He got one decision right, I think, over the years, and that was bringing in Carlos Corbran. Um, the rest of them have been pretty poor. The recruitment's been really poor. The choice of manager Getting Warnock been... in as well, to be fair. Okay, yeah, getting near Warnock in, but at the same time, he used to play for him. So it's a, it was a very... It had to coax him out of retirement as well. It was the nuclear option. He had no other choice other than other than that. And otherwise, Huddersfield would have gone down and that would have been... Not entirely his fault, but he would have been he would have taken a big portion of the blame. But as as I say, he's not he's not convinced me that he was good enough. That being said, has he really had the resources to do it? But again, if you're being facetious, if you're a good technical director, sporting director, however you want to title yourself, you'll be able to work within your constraints and I don't think Lee Bromby's showed that. No, definitely not. Let's move on from Huddersfield then and to Norwich, where sporting director Stuart Webber is to leave the club after six years. He was recruited in 2017 from Huddersfield, where he had been director of football and has twice won promotion since then. He informed the Norwich board of his decision in March and has a 12-month notice period, but another club could buy him out of his contract. He has been strongly linked with replacing Victor Orta at Leeds. Norwich say work to find a replacement is already underway. A rather divisive figure at Carrow Road. Justin, what do you think of his departure? I think it's it's the right time to do it. I think the club's plateaued over the last three years under his tenure. He's done some. He's done a heck of a lot of good. We need to address that. He's done a lot of good, being able to bring the club out of its heavy spending days in the Premier League, balance it out, and make it a you know dependable promotion winner over a few seasons. I think is admirable in terms of ownership. Norwich, bizarrely, one of the, the I wouldn't say the poorest because I don't think there's a poor rich person in the league. Um, but you know, the Norwich owners are certainly aren't the wealthiest, one of the least wealthiest in the league. So being able to create a promotion winning club under those circumstances, just talking about Lee Bromby and being able to work within those circumstances, I think Stuart Webber did that for Norwich for a couple of seasons, but being able to take them to that next step, being able to survive in the Premier League, being able to make good, solid decisions to, to turn that club into a, um, um, yeah, a, a Premier League team, essentially, he's not been able to do it and it's probably the right time. Yeah, Norwich are a club which haven't been going in the right direction and the book lies with Stuart Webber, ultimately. His departure, for me, is a good first step for Norwich as a club to get on back on the right track. In fairness to him, Webber played a blinder when he first came in there appointing Daniel Farker, signing Timmy Puki on a free, getting Emmy Brendia for a pittance, signing other players who were key to the club's promotion. But they've had two seasons in the Premier League, 
failed miserably. He spent near to £100 million in the past four seasons and you can list the number of successful signings in that time on one hand. The managerial appointments recently have been awful. I mean, they nearly got in Frank Lampard, which says a oh lot. My God. Uh, but they brought in Dean Smith instead. He had absolutely no effect on them in the Premier League. And they eventually struggled again in the Championship. And then he appointed his mate in David Wagner, who ended up having a worse points record per game last season than Dean Smith, including winning just one of his last 11 games. So Weber's judgment has been incredibly questionable for some time and seems to be getting increasingly questionable. And that's before you even get on to interviews where he's calling fans who want him out a few divorcees in a snake pit, as well as saying that he doesn't watch women's football, despite Norwich having a women's football team. So I think this is good news for Norwich and they can move on from this period, which has gone from great to turning increasingly sour. It's just flatlined, hasn't it? I think that's the, the thing. You, you can argue that the first three years were were quite positive, and the last three years have been have been quite poor. It's it's one of those where if you're going to describe it as something, it's a relationship where you just fall out of love with each other and you stop doing you stop doing the right right things for for each other. And the best thing to do is is to part ways. I won't be surprised if he. Well, sorry, I will be surprised if he sees out the season with Norwich because I think Norwich will more than likely want to to, to bring someone in, and if they do. You know, that might that might um, that might hurry the process on along a little bit, but as I say, it's it's the right time to do it. It certainly is, and I think Norwich can can start a new chapter um, without him. Yeah, interesting to see who they get in. What do you think of Weber potentially going to Leeds? Justin, that seems more likely than unlikely at this point. I've read that he's a Leeds Leeds fan, which is which is interesting. Victor Orta had a very sketchy record as well. But I think if you can, if Stuart Webber can channel Stuart Webber of the first two years, especially at, at Norwich, maybe two, three years at, at Norwich, then I think Leeds have got a very, very good sporting director. Um, so yeah, I think, well, especially under new ownership, it's going to be useful going forwards. But at the same time, Leeds Leeds need to get that over the over the line. And if 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 Stuart Webber's appointments in um, uh, well, Dean Smith, David Wagner are to go by. I'm not entirely convinced that he might be the right fit for Leeds. Obviously, them getting in Marcelo Bielsa was a, was a masterstroke by by Victor Orta, but at the same time, they've had others that have that have failed. Thomas Christensen, Paul Heckingbottom, um, Javi Grazia, Sam Allardyce. It's a similar situation at Leeds as to what it was at Norwich, where there's some good, but there's a lot of bad as well. So I don't know whether whether probably might suit you know taking a year out. I don't know how it works with sporting directors, whether they just want to jump into a job, whether they get as many holidays as managers do. But it, it just seems like he needs to spend some time away to come back again, recharged and go again. That's what it feels like. Yeah, I don't think that's a bad point, but it seems like his departure from Norwich has been triggered because he's getting interest from yeah, elsewhere. Exactly. So that's why it looks quite likely that he's going to go to Leeds. I think if this does happen, I'll be sat here wondering how he's got this job. It feels as if he's failing upwards. I mean, I remember at some point there were reports last season linking him with Chelsea, <laughs> which just blows my mind. I mean, once upon a time, he was doing a fantastic job when he was at Huddersfield and then initially at Norwich. What has he done, though, in the past four years that's impressed Leeds? Was it appointing Dean Smith and David Wagner, who have both been very poor appointments so far in the latter case? Is it the spending near to 100 million quid in four years with very few good signings in that time? I just don't get it. 
I must be missing something because <laughs> it seems to me like he's done a poor job for quite a while now. Yeah, I think it's it's worth considering that Victor Orta came in off the back of his spell at Middlesbrough where he spent a ridiculous amount of money and almost, I wouldn't say bankrupt the club, that, won't, that wouldn't happen under Steve Gibson, but he set the club back for years that they're, they're still recovering from now. Now we're talking about spending 10 plus million on Martin Braithwaite, Asamba Longa, that, that period under Gary Monk. Um, so I think it's worth pointing out as well that a sporting director does a lot more than recruitment. Obviously, the, the recruitment is the linchpin of every single football club. And if you don't get that right, your club's going to struggle to be successful. So there might be other areas that he excels at. The Youth Academy is, has done very well in recent years in, in bringing players through. Um, it's definitely not PR. Definitely not PR, no. Uh, the relationship with the supporters and the fans recovered for a long time. It did it, uh, you know, it did suffer in the last two years, but it, it was recovered from that, that really sort of Paul spell under Chris Hewitt and Alex Neal um, in the Premier League. So, yeah, there are there's a lot more to a sporting director than just recruitment. So that's worth putting out. So you might excel in those other areas and recruitment, not so much. Well, I will point out that on the Norwich website, it literally says his job is leading all aspects of the club's recruitment st- strategy, working with the head coach to identify players with the commitment and hunger to improve performances on the pitch. So it's mainly recruitment and appointing managers, which Stuart Webber hasn't done a good job of at Norwich. So we'll leave that there. Speaking of Leeds, Andrea Radrazzani has agreed a £170 million deal to sell his stake in the club to the owners of the American football team, the San Francisco 49ers. They purchased a 15% stake in Leeds in 2018, increased that to 44% in 2021. It comes as three top American golfers are looking to invest in the club. Jordan Spieth, Justin Thomas and Ricky Fowler have been converted to becoming Leeds fans by Matt Fitzpatrick's caddy. So that's quite fun, I suppose. Um, Still waiting on a manager to be appointed there. Daniel Farker is the bookies' favourite, which isn't too surprising considering the Stuart Webber links. Numerous reports indicate it won't be Graham Potter or Brendan Rodgers. Now, the latest on Leicester's search for a manager. The Daily Mail say the club are hoping to finalise an appointment this week. Dean Smith, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer and Man City coach Enzo Marasco are amongst those said to be under consideration, as is Scott Parker, who has been the favourite with the bookies for the past 24 hours at the time of recording. Justin will react more to an appointment once one is actually made, but if you had to sum up Scott Parker possibly getting the job in a gif, what would it be? Um, there's, there's a couple of gifs that come to mind. Any bland ones would be would be up there, but I think... I think there's that one of Willem Dafoe where he smiles crazily um, at the the camera in the back (laughs) of a car because the man is borderline delusion, um, if I'm being honest with you. Um, And that's what Willem Dafoe comes across as. So I'd sum it up in that. I can say a lot about Scott Parker, but as you say, it's better to react once once everything's confirmed. But I've seen a lot of Leicester fans really get behind the appointment because he's won two promotions, which is really... You've got to look a lot deeper than, than that to, to really get a hold of Scott Parker and his shit There's a lot more to it, isn't there, than yeah. just the two promotions. As far as gifts go, I was thinking more Tommy Shelby pointing a gun at his head. Um, <laughs> I don't know why that gif just makes me die every time I see it because it's just so over the top. Um, 
And finally, we're going to have been sold to local businessman Mike Danson. He stepped in after they were served a winding up petition by HMRC earlier this week over unpaid tax bills. The club confirmed all players and staff will be paid immediately, along with all creditors. In a statement, Danson said, I'm delighted to become involved in Wigan Athletic Football Club. I was born in Wigan, I grew up locally, and the community of the town is close to my heart. He went on to say the EFL has been shown a realistic financial plan to stabilise operations, a new board will be formed at the club and Sean Maloney will be kept on as manager. Justin, this is the last time we'll speak about Wigan for this season, obviously a League One club now, but it's only right we follow this story to this point. But good news, isn't it? I say good news. <laughs> it's like your house burning down and someone saying to you, don't worry, you can just get a new house. It's like, fine, but I'd rather have not gone through the trauma of my house burning down in the first place, you know what I mean? <laughs> Yeah, it was a weird, yeah, quite an aggressive analogy, but it does make complete sense because the damage has been done at Wigan by the previous owners. I'm glad they're out the door. They have to be one of the worst owners we've seen at the club that hasn't plunged um, a club into administration. It is just astonishing that they've got away with it for as long as they did. They really should have had a... If I should have really had a more aggressive approach with, um, with the... the, the previous owners at Wigan and I think that that really does make it important for more transparency on long um on the long term um aspect of, of club ownership you know understanding can a club afford to, to live within its means over the next 12 months and that you know being a lot more proactive as I say in that approach but the news of a new owner is is is, is brilliant news I think him being local is is is, is really helpful the ideal owner is a local owner because he gets a club, he gets a town and he makes that connection a lot sweeter. So yeah, really, really peaceful weekend and, and they can put this just astonishingly incompetent chapter behind them and, and go again. Yeah, without a doubt. You're absolutely spot on, Justin. It's The old owners going is obviously good news. They were liars. They kept failing to live up to their promises. Clearly didn't have enough money to run a football club. I think questions can be raised about how they passed the fit and proper test in the first place. But I'm just glad the club's out of their hands now. Mike Danson seems like he's got Wigan's best interests at heart. Hopefully they can rebuild. Let's take a quick break. After that, we'll talk about transfer news from the past couple of weeks. Welcome back to the Second Tier Podcast. So we'll talk some transfer news, shall we? Now that the transfer window is officially open, some clubs have been getting busy. And one of those busy clubs is Bristol City, one of the busiest clubs so far. They've signed Ross McCrory from Aberdeen for an undisclosed fee, reported to be around £2 million. The 25-year-old has agreed a three-year contract with an option for a further 12 months. He's traditionally a midfielder, but a very versatile player. Last season, played in midfield, centre-back, right-back, right-wing-back. So it will happily play wherever you ask him to, which is always a good quality to have. I'm told he's best deployed as a right-wing-back, which is quite interesting. Bristol City like to play with wing-backs and are a bit weak on the right-hand side. So I'll be intrigued to know if he does play there or in his natural midfield position. Either way, works his socks off, loves a tackle, only 25, which is a good age, means he's got room to grow as a player and can get better. So this signing gets a thumbs up from me. 
Yeah, really pleased with it. It's a player I always sign on in my first uh, first year on, on an FM save if I'm taking a, a lower league club, which is always a good sign, isn't it? Because as you say, he's 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 tenacious. He's got a lot of energy in that midfield. I think frustratingly, Bristol City failed to have a really consistent midfielder alongside someone like Alex Scott. So you've got someone in there who's who's going to complement someone creative, which is which is a positive. And obviously, if he's not going to play central midfield. You pointed out that he's, he's best deployed as a wing back. It was a massive hole last season for Bristol City, so having having an option there is, is going to be important. So Andy Vyman can play further forwards at times. Um, so yeah, I think it's a really really smart signing from from the Robins, and I think Nigel Pearson will be really pleased that he's got that over the line. Because when I saw I saw the link earlier on in the summer, I was like, okay, this is yeah, this is um, the perfect fit for a team that needs a dependable solid. Player who's going to make forty appearances, at least forty appearances in the league. So yeah, really pleased with that. Yeah, Bristol City have also signed defender Hayden Roberts from Brighton on a three-year deal. The twenty-one-year-old was on loan at Derby last season, making forty-six appearances, and that makes you the perfect person to comment on this, Justin. I really liked him. A lot of Derby fans were skeptical. He did struggle at times, but it was his first um, first year at a team, you know, really with high expectation because the previous seasons at Rochdale. Um, but at, at wing back, he's got this uncanny habit of being able to run with the ball. Decision making at times is a bit suspect, but he's young. It's going to be the case, especially when you've not had a lot of games. But he was a really, really good asset to, to Derby's team. I think he prefers playing on the left of a back three. So it'll be interesting if he's deployed as a left wing back. Obviously, when you've got Cameron Pring there and his form, he might you know, essentially be the first choice. But again, he's a versatile option. So, yeah, really pleased with it. He's, he can score a banger as well and he can pop up in the box which is something that's quite rare for a defender these days so yeah I'm gutted that Derby have missed out on him because I know Derby will link with him as well and he's going to be a really good asset for, for Bristol City going forwards Yeah when I saw him play for Derby last season I wasn't completely enamoured by him however I may have been slightly guilty of forgetting how old he is because any player who's 21 plays 46 games at League One level particularly near the top of League One if you get him on a free transfer, it's great value and all being well, they'll turn a healthy profit for him if he gets sold on. So yeah, mm-hmm. seems a good signing. Rob Dickey's also moved to Ashton Gate from QPI. He's reportedly joined for a million pounds. We will both agree he didn't have a good season last season, did he? But I still look at that and think that's pretty good value. Yeah, really good value. I think if you can get the Rob Dickey of the first two years at QPR, then you, Christ, you've got a player. You've got a player who's going to be worth four or five million pounds, which is why I'm surprised that QPR let him go for for pennies, really. But at the same time, he's, I think he's entering the last year of his contract. So, yeah, there's arguments we had there. But yeah, you've got a composed ball playing defender who's, as we found out the other week with with um, Scott High Ryan Low, surprisingly tall as well, which I completely, completely um, yeah passed me by. But yeah, I really like Rob Dickey, and again, if you can find the form from two years ago, 18 months ago. That's a very, very good player. Can score an absolute banger as well. You've got Hayden Roberts and Rob Deku can unleash an absolute thunder bastard. That's a good asset to have from your defence, isn't it? Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Bristol City fans will point out that QPR wanted around 10 million for him not yeah. too long ago. So the fact they've got him for a million now is quite impressive. He didn't play well last season. Maybe a bit of that was down to playing in the Gareth Ainsworth system, which just did not suit him at all. So, yeah, it'll be interesting to see how he does get on at Bristol City. Let's move on from Ashton Gate to Norwich, who have brought in centre-back Shane Duffy on a free transfer. The 31-year-old was released by Fulham at the end of his contract and has signed a three-year deal. Big Shane Duffy, back in the championship, Justin. 
Yeah, really, really pleased with the signing, actually. I know a lot can be made of them signing experienced players who might not benefit the squad in the long term. But this season, I think Shane Duffy, I mean, he's never been blessed with pace. He's a head it and kick it type defender, but he's been part of some really successful teams and played a fair few games for Fulham last season. Statistically, he stands out. Um, I was surprised with his stats when he was playing for Fulham last season because, as I say, he's just a head it and kick it guy. But he's exactly the type of defender you want when... I hate the cliche, but when you're in the trenches, when you're backs up against it, when you're getting bombarded with long balls in the box. Um, and I think he's going to bring some steadiness to a, to a back line that needs it and some leadership as well and some depth, which is really important to point out. I'm quite enjoying Norwich becoming a retirement home for players who have been amazing <laughs> championship players five years ago. Shane Duffy, Ashley Barnes, Jack Stacey, Tom Ince has been linked. So... I'm hoping they follow this up by getting in Leon Clark and Mate Vidra as well. Uh, look, Shane Duffy is hardly the most progressive <clears throat> signing in the world. He's 31 now, played 17 minutes in the Premier League last season. Once was a brilliant defender, but it's been a while since we've seen that player. So I just don't really see what the strategy is at Norwich. It's not like these players have sell-on value or are going to get better. The best days are behind them, with perhaps the exception of Stacey. I always think if you're a championship club, you should look towards your Brightons and your Brentfords and sign young, sell them at a, their peak price and redistribute that money back into the squad. You're not going to do that with the players that Norwich are signing. I imagine their wages won't be dead cheap either. So it's a strange approach, if you ask me, and... It'll be very interesting to see if they keep signing players who are past their best uh, as the transfer window progresses. Jude Bellingham's brother, Joby, has left Birmingham to join Sunderland. The 17-year-old made 23 appearances in all competitions last season. The Daily Mirror claims the fee is around £1.5 million but could rise to more. Interesting that Sunderland have done this, Justin. Feels like a bit of a gamble if you ignore the context of who his brother is. Yeah, if you ignore ignore that Jude's um, just signed for Real Madrid as well. Um, yeah, it's quite, a, I wouldn't say quite a step down. Sunderland are a massive club, maybe not as big as Real Madrid, but there'll be arguments there from from Black Cats fans. But yeah, it's uh, it's an interesting one because it's clearly one for the future. Sunderland have had a, an interesting habit over the last twelve months of signing younger players and really and really pushing them on. So I think um, I think it's one that we'll keep an eye on over the next twelve months and see how he progresses. But I think he's in a, he's in a very good place, isn't he? Sunderland wants to develop players, and I think if he's got the time to do that at the stadium of light, then he's, he's going to be, turn out to be a very good player. I think it's really important not to compare him to Jude Bellingham because they're clearly very Justin, different players. That is exactly what I was going to say. I've seen so many Birmingham fans say, don't care, he's not as good as his brother. It is completely ridiculous to compare him to his brother. Jude Bellingham is a, a generation talent, isn't he? One in a billion kind of player. Having said that, Joby is cut from the same cloth. So I imagine he shares a lot of the same traits that his brother have. You can't compare the two, but there will be some similarities. In any circumstance, a 17-year-old featuring in half of a championship club's games in a season is impressive. I also rate Sunderland's recruitment highly. So while it does feel like a bit of a gamble, they clearly think he's worth it because it's not often you see a championship club spending more than six figures on someone so young. Premier League clubs, sure, not really championship clubs though. So I'll be intrigued to see how much he features for them next season. As you say, Sunderland's 
recent record of developing youngsters is unbelievable. So it seems like he's in the right place if he yeah. does want to become a top, top player and you can't rule that out at all, can you? Speaking of Birmingham, the Daily Mirror is reporting that if Jude Bellingham's fee for his move to Real Madrid eventually rises to 111, uh, £115 million, pounds, Blues will receive around eleven million, so they're certainly making a fair bit of money from the Bellingham <laughs> family, aren't they? Meanwhile, Sunderland have also agreed terms with Australian side Central Coast Mariners for the transfer of centre back Nectarios Triantis. The twenty-year-old is expected to join the Black Cats on an initial fee of three hundred thousand pounds. Don't know anything about this guy, Justin. I have heard Sunderland are quite excited about him. Uh, I mean, their scouting's a bit ridiculous, isn't it? Getting this guy <laughs> from Australia, Jewison Bennett from Costa Rica. Mm-hmm. There's probably a few others as well. It's just like they're on Football Manager, really, isn't it? Uh, let's go to Millwall. They've signed striker Kevin Nisbet from Hibernian. The Scottish side say he's left for a significant seven-figure fee. Millwall say the 26-year-old has signed a long-term contract. 12 goals in 19 appearances for Hibs last season. Justin, what do you think? I think it's a really positive return for a player who just recovered from an ACL injury. So I think that's a very you know, good testament to his to his ability. Obviously, Millwall were in for him in January, but he either failed his medical or turned Millwall down. There's various reports, um, but nothing solid. But nonetheless, he didn't sign for Millwall earlier on in the year. But he has now, and I think it's a, it's a really positive signing. I think what I want to see from Millwall next season is going away from this stereotype Millwall where they want to launch balls into the box, which wasn't the case last season, but they can still fall into that. Um, go route can be overly defensive sometimes, is what I'm trying to get at and a little bit more pragmatic in games. But I think this signing of Nisbet, who's not the biggest of players, he's not the big number nine that they've been crying out for over the years. Um, I think it's a you know um, a swing in it, a slightly different direction, which is what they need. Again, partnering someone like him up with Zian Fleming could could prove to be a massive stroke. And you've got Tom Bradshaw, who we know is at least good for 10, 12 goals next season. So, yeah, very excited. I just hope that he can get used to the rigours of the Championship, which is, as we know, quite different to the SPL. Well, Millwall have needed a striker for a while now, haven't they? Even though Tom Bradshaw ended up having a great season for them, I'm not sure he's the answer. So it's good seeing them go out and get another striker. I haven't watched a ton of him because I don't follow the Scottish Premiership too much, but I've done a fair bit of research and reading up on him and his finishing stats are quite phenomenal. He averaged a goal from 21% of his shots at goal last season in the championship he'd be in the top 10 strikers with that kind of record he scored 12 goals from a total xg of around 7.3 so this guy is a clinical finisher he knew where the back of the net was last season my only concern is i'm struggling to see what else he offers to the team Mm -hmm. he doesn't create many chances he's not great in the air rarely runs with the ball he seems a bit like a scottish version of tom bradshaw so (laughs) I'd have thought Mill would want someone who offers something a bit different up front, but it doesn't seem like he does. So I'm not sure about this one personally. He may score a few goals, but I'd have thought Mill would want a bit more if they're spending as much money as they have done, mm-hmm. according to Hibernian on him. Jada Silva has joined Coventry on a free transfer. It's after the left-back was released by Bristol City. The 25-year-old has signed a four-year contract. I like this move, Justin. Yeah, there was quite a few clubs linked with him, obviously, and I was rubbing my hands together because I thought this would be the start of 10, 10 or 12 new signings at, uh, at Coventry, but it's not been the case. But nonetheless, it's, it's very shrewd because I think that gives Coventry a hell of a lot of depth as well. You've got Jake Bidwell who can potentially move into that back three. 
um, if so. But he's a, he's a good attacking wing back, and he's, he's we say a four year deal, which is which is positive because they've relied heavily on loans over the past couple of seasons to facilitate um, that position. I think was it Ryan Giles in their first season in the Championship, the first half of the season he spent at Coventry. And the following season it was Ian Martin. Obviously, last season was. Josh Wilson at Brand. So yeah, it's it's a good move and I think De Silva, if we can see the De Silva that was really coming up Trumps before his knee injury, I think we could um I think we're in for, in for an exciting season. But we know what Robbins can do with, with the individuals and we might see that. Yeah, once upon a time Bristol City spent a lot of money on Jay De Silva. It didn't look like they were overspending either, did it? It looked as if they were investing in a mm-hmm. really exciting young wing-back. Unfortunately, he suffered a few injuries in his time at Ashton Gate. He managed to get back to playing regularly in the past couple of seasons. Struggled to find much form, but there is undoubtedly a quality player in there. And if there's a manager who can get it out of him, it's Mark Robbins, isn't it? A really good defender, very consistent You'd like to see a bit more of him going forwards because one goal contribution in 38 appearances last season isn't outstanding, but he is still only 25. It could end up being a really smart signing, especially on a free. Uh, we'll get back onto Coventry in a sec, Justin, but Liverpool right back Calvin Ramsey has joined Preston on a season-long loan. The 19-year-old signed from Aberdeen last summer but struggled with injuries. An exciting sign in this, highly rated at Liverpool, they signed him for four million and has played a couple of games for the senior side. Possibly would have been more if it wasn't for injuries. A very attacking fullback, good at running with the ball, can use both feet as well. He's got a beautiful goal for Aberdeen from 20 yards out with his weaker foot. So he's capable of it, created plenty of chances that season too. Defensively seems to be a, a bit of a weakness that could be worked on. I'm told crosses towards the back post where he is, he can be exposed a bit there. But at the end of the day, Preston needed a right back slash right wing back. Brad Potts was their first choice last season. Well, he is capable of the odd bicycle kick. They can do a lot better than him. So I'm looking forward to seeing more of this mm. lad. Yeah, absolutely. He's, he's I've been reading up on him quite a bit, actually. His delivery is second to none, which is absolutely what Preston need. They just need to bring in a couple of clinical forwards as well. Um, it'd be good to see them move for a permanent deal for, for those forward positions but nonetheless I think he offers Preston what they lacked last season which was a natural wing back who can who can really do a shift going forward so as you say Brad Potts did a, a decent enough job but having someone who's a specialist in that area and as I say his dead ball ability is, is good his crossing ability is good um, and going forward he's, he's you know he ticks, he ticks a lot of boxes which as I say is, is a missing link and obviously you mentioned that you know putting balls into the back post if Preston have got three defenders three centre-backs sorry playing it should alleviate some of that um, stress and pressure but yeah good signing really looking forward to see, uh, seeing this one over the course of the season and finally Victor Jokeres has admitted to wanting to try something new by leaving Coventry this summer speaking to Swedish media the striker says he believes the club's asking price of more than £20 million is too high he went on to say there are a number of clubs that are interested and Coventry surely want what they want then you have to take it accordingly and see when the club feels satisfied. But I hope that the club can also think about what I want and what I feel for and not just about who pays the most. Just in Coventry fans have absolutely lost their heads with this interview. What do you think of it? I I get it. You don't want to hear your top scorer and one of your best players saying this, but is anybody surprised? Did we expect this? I think the only thing I'm, I'm not... Well, yeah, the only thing I'm not surprised... Well, 
the only thing I actually was surprised by is the fact that no one's come in for him yet with a solid enough bid. There's been a lot of interest. I've seen pretty much every club under the sun linked with him outside of the top six in the Premier League. I've seen a few clubs abroad linked with him as well. But this is something we've been expecting. Maybe he's right. An asking price of over £20 million is quite steep for a player who's in the last year of his contract. That being said, he was the most complete forward last season. But he's worth what Coventry think he's worth, so he's got no say in it, really. But at the same time, you don't want to have a player who doesn't want to be at the football club going into pre-season. Um, so if that's the case, then then Mark Robbins needs to have a, an honest conversation. But as I said, but a lot of times, there are a lot of buts with this. He said what he said. He's been honest. We know where he stands. I think Coventry fans probably should learn to uh, accept it, which is a very blunt way of saying we knew this was going to happen. Well, I don't think he's done a lot wrong, really. He's been an excellent player for Coventry for two seasons now. He deserves the chance to move on, and from the sounds of it, all he wants is not to be priced out of a move, which is completely fair. If he believes the asking price for him is a bit high, then he's entitled to his opinion. I think it's actually quite refreshing that he's being open and honest about it. So... Mm. From what I've seen, a lot of Coventry fans are acting like he owes the club something after they took a chance on him, which I just think is nonsense. He scored them a hatful of goals, led them to a, a playoff final. Coventry should get a nice, healthy sum of money for selling him as well. So I think he's more than done his bit at, at the club. I think it's best for all parties if he goes because Jokerez gets his move. Coventry get a load of money to spend on whatever they want for selling him. Um Coventry don't want an unhappy striker playing for them next season because they'll lose money on him, won't they? Mm -hmm. So I could see a happy ending for everyone here if he gets his move and Coventry will get some, they'll get duly rewarded for selling him. Let's finish off, Justin, with another game of Scott High or Ryan Lowe. This is the game where Justin is going to get three questions and four options. All he has to do is rank them in order from highest to lowest. So with that being said... Here's your first question, Justin. Who completed the most successful tackles in the championship last season? Gustavo Hamer, Ollie Norwood, James McLean, Lewis Travis. So this is, are we ranking them still highest to lowest? Yes, I yeah. did just say that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. One ear, in one ear, out of the other. I'm uh, surprised it's not Kevin Stewart. Kevin Stewart's always in there for some reason. Um <laughs> Um, despite never playing despite never playing <laughs> he could play one game all season and he'll still be top of the charts uh, are you going with Justin Hamer Norwood McLean Travis I'm you know what I'm going to go James McLean first Norwood okay. Norwood um, Norwood um, Travis fouls a lot so I'm going to put him bottom he doesn't, he doesn't successfully tackle very often although it is his job um, so yeah I'm going to go with McLean Norwood Hamer, uh, Travis. You got one right. Uh, you were right that James McLean was top. He's got 119 successful tackles. Travis was second after you disparaged him with 115. Norwood, 111. Hamer, 108. So hmm. a poor showing from the start. Next one is this. The clubs have spent the most seasons in the championship in total since it was rebranded in 2004. You should get this one, Justin. Surely. Preston, Cardiff, Birmingham, QPR. Preston, Cardiff, Birmingham, QPR. Feel free to write it down, as always. It may help you out a bit. Preston, Cardiff. Preston, Cardiff. 
Birmingham QPR. Birmingham QPR. So I'm going to go with Cardiff. Mm-hmm. Then QPR. Mm-hmm. Then Birmingham. Mm-hmm. Then Preston. You're so fucking close, Justin. Honestly, you've fallen at the final hurdle. Cardiff, 17. They've been in every season, bar two in the Premier League. QPR, 16. Preston, 15. Birmingham, 14. It's I, it's really... I think it's because I struggle to remember exactly when Preston got relegated. Because I think it was the season before Birmingham came down from the Premier League, I think. I think Birmingham also spent more seasons in the Premier League yeah. than people remember. Um, so that's really unfortunate. I thought you had it for a sec. Uh, so that means you're still yet to get one right. And your final one is this. Who is the oldest? Johnny Halson, Joe Allen, John Ruddy, or your best mate, Troy Deeney? My best mate, Troy Deeney. Everyone's best mate, Troy Deeney. Write them down um, again if you want. <clears throat> so we've got Rudd's Rudster. John Ruddy's like forty. <laughs> <laughs> Ruddy, um, Deeney, Allen, Halson. Tell you what, for two older players, shall we say, Joe Allen and Johnny Halson's hairlines are impeccable. No, oh, absolutely. It's gotta be put out there. I'm gonna go with Ruddy, uh, Halson, Deeney and Allen. He's nailed it. He's nailed it, ladies and gentlemen. Spot on. You're absolutely right, Justin. John Roddy is 36. Halson's 35. Deanie's 34. Alan is 33. I think that's the first time we've actually got one of these right yet. So yeah. far, Justin, how do you feel? That's a good one. I honestly thought Roddy was older than 36. That's, that's a little bit blown my mind. I wasn't being I wasn't joking when I said he's almost 40. I genuinely thought he was older. Johnny House, an incredible season for a man in his mid-30s last season. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I'm not going to lie. I probably would have put House in top, to be honest. Um, and no. I maybe would have put Alan a bit higher as well because it feels like he's been around for yeah. so long. So the fact that he's the youngest out of them just kind of blows my mind a little bit. But that's been Scott High or Ryan Lowe. And for the first time since we started doing this new revamped version of it, someone's got one right. So there we go. Well done, Justin. Uh, this has been the Second Tier Podcast. We'll be back again on Sunday where we have a Second Tier Meets with the captain of a championship side. Who is it? All will be revealed on Sunday, ladies and gentlemen. So you have that to look forward to. And we look forward to seeing you then. This has been the Second Tier Podcast. Justin, are you looking forward to doing some shifts at Babe Station? <laughs> Who isn't, eh? <laughs> tell uh, tell Diamond I said hi. <laughs> this has been the Second Tier Podcast. I've been Ryan Dilks. I've been Justin Peach. And a big thank you for listening. Mm-hmm.